Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Trey Bourne. I'm Matthew Schultz. And I'm Molly Kraska. Today on the show, Squid Game. Yay. Yay. <laughs> no, we should be celebrating <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, maybe not a thing to whoop for. Number one on Netflix for several weeks, right? I think it's down to number three or something now. We're we're a little late to be squidding, but we're gonna but we're going to squid regardless. How sad is that that like only three weeks later we're considered irrelevant by the media? What's number one, the baking show or no? Well, it's Halloween now. I wouldn't be surprised if like Fear Street came back up or something like that. I do lo- I do like me some British baking show. <laughs> It's a cultural unifier. It gets all of yes. us, no matter what. Yes. We, we like to worry about our soggy bottoms and <laughs> whether you're going to get a Hollywood handshake. Oh, know. wait. That's a baking reference? Soggy bottoms? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, is the, wait, what's a Hollywood handshake? It's the guy, the very stoic baking man. He gives you a handshake if you do a very good job. <laughs> The rest of the room claps. No, I've I've been watching my my baking show of choices. Nailed it because everybody just like they don't they don't care. It's great. You should you should really check it out. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to have a but look. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. What did we think? What did we think about Squid Game? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was really good. Damn, it was brutal. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was absolutely phenomenal. I think it's hitting on so many important things right now. Yeah, what do we like? Maybe this is too wonkish, but I really liked it. It really carried forward the um there was a movie a couple of years ago that won Best Picture called Parasite that was actually a, a Korean movie as well. And it was all about wealth dis- disparity uh, in that movie too. And this seemed to be, you know, almost uh, a sequel to that in a lot of ways. And there was a scene in parasite where one of the characters is on a toilet that is overflowing with sewage while she's smoking a cigarette just in a moment of peace just while sewage is flowing up all around her and that seemed such a uh you know to me it was almost like a uh, a black mirror episode in and of itself and and that's what this whole scene like was just a twilight zone black mirror episode about wealth disparity carried to the extreme and also i think another reason it really worked was because you're you're in the place of the people you know you can't help but think what would i do would i pass this test would i want to be put in this situation um what what would i have to be pushed to to want to voluntarily you know risk my death in order to pay off debt not just yours but the lives of others yes and they they vote to go back Right. You know, they they get the first taste in red light, green light, and then all say, let's get out of here. But all all but three, I think. Some I think crazy small like number. Yeah, yeah. Decide to come back for more. I think that's kind of or I think that's a really interesting part of the show that I think in the big discussion right now is a little bit overlooked. Um, but the fact that they they choose to be there. After that, that the whole episode about what it's their their lives when they're back back home or whatnot, and then they make the choice to come back. I think that really small detail kind of it, it paints like the really dire nature of their situation, 
that I, in a way that like other shows that have kind of done similar things where they're forced to be there, uh, Mm -hmm. does in a really cool way. Yeah. It's the voluntary nature of this. Although is it really, you know what I mean? Yeah. How voluntary is it? It reminded me of when, remember when Mike Tyson bit off Mike of the Holyfield's ear? Do you remember that? In the boxing match? And they asked him afterwards, and he was like, I got to feed my kids. I got to feed my kids. What, so you bit a man's ear off? (laughs) Yeah, he did. Was he thinking like a bird, like he was going to bring back the ear? I think so. Regurgitate it into their mouths. I think we do put ourselves in situations where we say, well, we'll do something horrible. And the justification is, well, I got to feed my family or I got to provide for my family. And I Mm -hmm. think it's something that is really pervasive against all cultures. I think I think that's a great part of the show that's making it so, so great right now and accessible to everyone and such a success everywhere is that it all the themes presented in it and the ideas presented in it, I think, are really universal. You know, and the the general discussion everywhere right now, it's it's class inequalities and being put into like these environmental situations where we really don't have a say. So I think thematically it lets us connect in that way. But I think there's also a lot of cool just entertainment based stuff that it does that makes it accessible and interesting Mm -hmm. for everyone. Well, and even like the absurdism of the entire setup, you know, is really funny. Like they so they're they're playing red light green light you know people start dying and then everybody's like wait a minute no this is not cool like people are literally dying and all the people in charge are like it's just a game mm-hmm. chill out it's it's a game it's fine like you you don't have to be here you don't have to play it and i i just think that that's like along the lines of wealth inequality how even the people who are who are on different sides of the seesaw as it were are like they're not they're not on the same level, you know, like they don't even see things from the same perspective. Like it it makes me think of one of the memorable moments really early on is when um before Gihun gets invited to the game and he's doing the that flipping thing, you know, that man with the briefcase approaches him and he's trying to flip over the other guy's square and he's slapped so many times that it bruises his face and then he finally gets it and he goes to slap him back because that's what's equal, right? That's, I won, I get to do this. And the man stops him, grabs his hand and smiles and is like, oh, no, 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 sorry. That's not how this game works. Yeah, that was good. What did we think about the the blending? I mean, part of the creep creepy factor here is that it's a children's game, right? Red light, red light green light. What, what do we think about uh, the fusion of the deadly, bloody, gory nature of the show uh, and populating each episode with the, with a child's game. That is a thousand percent up my alley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, conceptually, that is disgusting and I love it. <laughs> well, it's purposefully shocking. And, you know, I mean, I think as kids, we did that too, right? I mean, how many times did you play a game where you're like, if you fall off, you're going to be in the lava pit? Or, mm-hmm. you yep. know, or whatever it was. And there were, of course, no stakes or anything. But here's a child's game that used to play but with real life and death stakes. I think that res- that also resonated with a lot of people. I think the fact, too, that they're all really simple children's games, like we were kind of talking about this earlier, let us really uh, imagine that we're there. If it was like these convoluted rule sets, it'd be harder uh for us as viewers. Like, oh, what would, oh, could I, you know, like in the sugar cookie episode, could I do the umbrella like that? Like, it's a very direct, simple game that you can put yourself into right away. Yeah, and I think one of the things I thought when I was watching some of the episodes over 
you know, I, I was, I was in the category of one of the last picked when I was a kid, you know, or not picked, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I just think that part of what the show is saying, which is really smart is that we don't really grow up in this fashion. Yeah. You know, we have our group and if you're not part of the group, you're out and you're completely ostracized. And we base things on superficial nonsense. Mm -hmm. Boys are better. They should be in and girls should be out. But what if Mm -hmm. you're playing a game that's better for girls? Well, let's just face it. It's mostly boy games. Our chances are better. You know, you're, you're left out, right? Which is why in some ways that uh, episode where the, the woman is left, the last one is left, you know, screaming for someone to take her, right? There's a sort of vindication uh, in, that, in that episode. Like, to some degree, the billionaires that are in charge, at least in this space, have decided that they're going to level the playing field a little. You know, not a lot because they're still in control, right? But a little bit. It's funny how seriously they even take their own rules, you know? So like, for example, with Han Minyo, you've got, well, you didn't partner up with anybody, so you can't fairly compete in the game. Therefore, you're exempt from it. Like everybody gets their fair chance. It's fair. Um, Whereas like, you know, you got the the doctor who is stealing people's organs um, and in doing so, he's getting information about what the next game is. Well, that's not fair. He can't do that. Nobody is allowed to cheat our system because our system is designed to be fair and balanced. And if you, you know, if you didn't make it, well, you had your fair shot. And I think that 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 whole setup is really, it's really fucked up. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that is in that episode, he's told, we didn't care that you were selling organs. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's totally fine. Getting information about the game that deserves your death, right? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting what you guys are talking about with the, because they they really present the stuff in a, we take the game really seriously. This is, you know, everyone deserves an equal merit-based chance, but so so many of the games are based off of luck at the same time. Mm -hmm. It seems like they're, they're playing with like, oh, we're, we're very serious. This is where we give people that need a shot at money a fair chance at it. And, you know, kind of guising under that honorable light. But, you know, like the sugar cookie game, like that's there's there's skill in there to a degree. But it's if you pick the yeah. umbrella, you're screwed largely. And then uh, the other, I think, really big luck based one was the um, the one with the, the the walking glass panes. I think that one, that game shows some of the more like twisted, insidious side of all the spectators and billionaires because like. At one point, you know, one of the guys, he can in- investigate the glass. Like, that's a skill that he had. That's, but in that eyes, mm-hmm. uh, that makes the game unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they darken the light so he can't see it anymore. So I think, like, what, what is fair yeah. in this context? And what, what's the true intention of the, of the people hosting these games? Well, and I think part of it is not so much fair but entertaining to those in power, right? Like they're doing a lot of justifying themselves. Like they, they bet on these people, right? They are there with people literally uh, as their furniture, 
right? Completely objectified yeah. their sexual playthings, whatever they like, right? Um, and if it's not going to be exciting anymore, if someone's going to lead all of them across to victory, uh, they need to uh, raise the stakes, right? Um, and 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 for me, that was one of the more interesting episodes, as I was saying before the show, where we have our main character trying to choose between, you know, position or jersey number one and jersey number sixteen. He chooses one. A guy comes up and says, "Can I, can I, can I choose number one?" I've been, a, I've been afraid of making choices my whole life and I've never made a choice and I've always done what other people have said. I want to take control for once. And that idea of control, I think, is, is a, a thread throughout right uh, the entire show. None of these characters are in control except, right, except the billionaires in the eyes wide shut masks right, um, that are lo- looking from the balcony over them and making those decisions. So it's a completely ironic scene. You don't know until after they start the game that if you think back at, you know, and think about the guy, he had no, he had no control. He had, he had the control to make that choice, but he was doomed, right. Um, based on the, the chance, right. That's the thing too. That's so wild about it is that like, you know, with, with the fairness and the choices is that they're, they're doing um it's it's kind of like gaslighting in a way you know they're saying like you have a chance you have a choice like you you are in control here you have the choice to end the game at any time you have the choice to choose what position you get to choose what shape and in reality those choices are meaningless it's it's all luck it's not a choice because how can you if you don't know what the rules of the game are before you're asked to choose a shape why would you choose that one so it's 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 really messed up. <laughs> exactly. In the end, it was about entertainment. It wasn't about fairness. And they were telling them it was fairness, but it wasn't. And it, I was really glad it didn't. It took that turn, believe it or not, because like a movie like I was thinking about, like Slumdog Millionaire, where the person gets rich and it's all just luck. Like he knows the answers to all these questions. He wants to be a millionaire questions because of his just happens to have these life experiences that, and I just hated that movie because it just didn't mean anything to me. It was just kind of, and the, and the payoff was he just got lucky and he got rich and then he got the girl. Whereas in here, it was pure fate. I mean, pure luck and not even good luck. It was just walking ass backwards into situations, you know, it was, you know, and so to me that was, that was what was really dark about it all was that it was purely about entertainment and about these, you know, fat cats and the eyes wide shut mask, you know, determining, you know, who was going to live and who was going to die based purely on, you know, whether it was going to be a better game or not. Well, we got tired of betting on horses. So we thought, why not bet on people? Like, yeah. Why don't you use all your money to get a therapist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it makes a, uh, brilliant social comment oh, yeah. with regard to uh, poverty um, and life circumstances and quote unquote the game, right? Because ultimately um, those at the bottom don't know the score. They don't know the rules. They don't understand the choices that they're making are going to lead to the things that they lead to right in their life. Yeah. 
they think they're making the right choices or good choices. Based on the information that's available at the time, but it's not enough because somebody else is making the rules. And then telling them, well, you chose this. This was your choice. Yeah, you made this choice. It's, it's on you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even at the end when the old guy was dying, he was still trying to justify it to himself. Like, look at the poor person out on the street. You know, almost in his mind, like he was giving people a chance and stuff. I'm like, yeah, but you're not doing anything, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the, that last little ending bit of the last episode was, was great where we see what happens to Gion after he, he wins. I don't know if you can really call it a win after all he went through, but after, you know, he got through all these horrible situations through luck, uh, through skill, through whatever. And he's, he's absolutely broken. And um, I think that showcases a lot of like, you know, the entertainment aspect and they kind of just like take your money, shut up, don't like don't don't go any further with this. Like, um, so I think that's something interesting to maybe talk about is um, with the way that the show ended um, with with Gion and when he cut his hair, turned it red and the kind of the conviction that he had. I kind of read that a little bit differently. I I sort of, uh, all the way through, I kept, you know, sort of thinking about, I don't know, you put yourself in these kind of situations and say, well, how far would you go, you know? And I think part of what the show is is asking us to think about is is the sort of price of success, the price of winning, Yeah. right? You know, you know Ollie is doomed from the start because he's a nice wow. guy. He's, he's not going to make it, right? And probably my... Uh, favorite uh, episode is episode six, the Ganbu episode where, you know, these, these two people are supposed to be childhood friends, right? Or not childhood friends. They're supposed to be the equivalent of best friends. They have one another's backs. And we watch, you know, Song Gion make the choice, right? He makes the conscious choice to dupe this guy and become... You know, you might say for self-preservation or whatever, but to become as despicable as he can sort of become, you know, he stoops to an absolute low that you're hoping there's some integrity there, but he, he, he can't. He wants to live. And so you're right, Molly, he's broken, right? By, by the end to some degree, to, to a great degree, he's become worse than his ex-wife would have made him out to be in his, in his daughter. Right. Because the, like by the time he got the money that would have changed his life, there had been so much trauma that it didn't matter. And I think that that's also a commentary about how much this inequality just absolutely, it chews people up and spits them out. The final uh, act is his, his return. It's bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. In episode six, I was thinking about this. Of course, that was a great betrayal of the, you know that Connie did of the of the old man. But what about his friend and Ali? I mean, that was that was a to me that oh. was the worst betrayal. I mean, that was just brutal. And let me yeah. and also, if he had not allied to the old guy, would the old guy would he have died? Would the old guy let him die? Yeah, I think, I think he would have. Yeah, of course. But I think, I, at least from the show's perspective, don't you think we, we, we are on to Sang Woo being a douchebag way earlier? I mean, he's, 
He's in character. For half a second, I believed him, but only yeah. because I wanted him to be telling the truth. Yeah. It's done pretty well where he's kind of making a lot of really logical decisions about mm-hmm. survival. We should team up. We should do this. You know, um, but there's a point and part of it is, you know, the betrayal where he picks Ali, right? Um, over his supposed friend. Well, because they'd been teaming up so far. So they, yep. you know, they supposed that they would be teaming up again. Yep. And so I, I at least for me, Song Wu at that point, when he's betraying Ali, he's not really acting much out of character. He's doing exactly no, what no. he's been doing kind of the whole time. It just felt like a bigger betrayal to me, I think, because of Ali was so trusting. And that, maybe that was. No, no, I think I think you're right. I think it's like like a tension point where you're like, okay, so we are expecting Sangwoo to betray Ali. Is he going to prove us wrong? Is he going to show us that he is? I don't want to say a better person than we think he is, because I think the whole like to there are some people that are like really bad, but then there are some people who are just driven to desperation. You know, they're not they're not being bad because they're bad people. They're making choices that are horrific because it's the only choice they feel like they can make to keep themselves alive. Like literally in this case, but like, you know, maybe a little less literally or maybe not in others. So I think, um, that the betrayal is expected, but because it's Ali, because he's so sweet, because they have been growing closer because Ali has been, you know, charming and sweet and nice and trying to, help as much as he can and to learn that we we hope that Song Wu will put it aside but he doesn't. I think I think that whole scene is just I, I agree that it, it stings extra. And I think part of it too is when you see Song Wu, they play like the normal the normal game of marbles originally and then mm-hmm. Song Wu is losing and he, he's not used to being a loser, you know, based on his background. And he, there's this moment and he like, he absolutely melts yeah. down like a child where he's like, you don't even know the rules of this game and you're, and you're winning. And then from there, I think what makes it sting is how like, how like absolutely methodical and smart and like insidious his way to betray and cheat the game insidious. was. And then when it's, it's so smart and it works so well. And then when he goes to the guard and he's like, you said that we could play any game with the marbles and like. And I think that scene is it serves the show so well, and I think it sets up the last act with Songwoo and Gion and Sabiok in yeah, the perfect does. way. I think too that that's also a really important commentary on. Uh, so it's it's about wealth equality in general or inequality, right? But also, um, Ali is an immigrant, mm-hmm. right? Like, well, I'm on the bottom of the totem pole here, so who can I throw under the bus? Ah, somebody who is uh, even less well-off than I am, because what's going to happen if they win? You know, they don't even know the rules here. That's even dealt with in one of the episodes. Someone says something like, he's not even a Korean, Mm -hmm. right? He's probably not one of us, or Mm -hmm. I don't remember which character. But yeah, it's directly, you know, the same kind of logic that we often hear here. Right about what the the nature of the immigrant, right? I mean, to take what is ours and don't don't understand what it's like to be one of us, right? Sort of thing. Yeah, that episode. I mean, not only was it about wealth inequality and not about and about immigration, 
It was about sexism. It was about mm-hmm. ageism. I mean, it yep. really hit yeah. on all levels. It was really yeah, amazing. it does. And one more question, and that's sort of the popularity of this show. This isn't an American phenomenon. This isn't a British European. It's a global. It seems to be sort of global phenomenon. Um, why do you think it resonates so much now? Right. There aren't many Korean shows in Korean that are top Netflix, uh, you know, top of their, their popularity. But what does it also say about us? Do you think? I think, I think for a long time, we've been kind of fascinated by like these game based horror fictions, like even going back to like the hunger games, like this idea of putting a whole bunch of people into this game space and having them duke it out is something that that we really enjoy watching and um before that even it's just it's just a battle royale mm-hmm. yeah a little battle royale and the, the show even feels like you know like an extreme like horror version of like survivor at times like those like class or like big brother like the social aspect of it all um it's it's taking those 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 games that we're all really familiar with and kind of blowing it up on that morbid level and i think um the the entertainment aspect i think there's it, it resonates a lot thematically but i think on an entertainment level the popularity is you know it's maybe a bit of a, a sad resonance you know how close are you know if we we could be in the games what we you know we're enjoying watching them too we're getting invested in who's yeah. living and who's dying just like yeah. the billionaires are i also think the imagery of it even if you know you didn't even watch the subtitles or listen to the, the, the imagery was just incredible you know the the childlike oh, yeah, the doll and insane. then blood and then the imagery of the the bunks, you know, it was all, it had like the movie Brazil, it reminded me of the movie Brazil in a lot of ways. It was just really a dystopian type of, of thing. I think that doll is actually like a, a fixture in South Korea. Like I, I saw something cause the first time I saw it, obviously I, you know, I don't know a lot about South Korea, but like I saw, um, I was like, well, that's a creepy and interesting choice. But then when um, I, I forget where I was and what I saw, but like I saw something somewhere, maybe on Twitter, maybe somewhere on the Internet. And it was that doll, but in like a benign setting, like outside of Squid Game in a time past. And I was like, oh, my God, is this just like that? That's just like a thing in South Korea. Like they use that yeah. all the time. And so like having her with the eyes in the red light, green light was just like a perversion of the symbol mm-hmm. that it's, it's all a perversion of symbols, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of it to me is also, you remember the, the game, um, scruples, scruples. You remember the show? It was a, it was a game called Scruples. Yeah. I know the game. Yep. And to me, this really reminded me of that. If, you know, if you feel like, let's say you feel like you're, um, you're not sexist. And then you're put in a situation like this where like, well, I got to survive. So I'm going to choose a man. I'm not going to choose a woman, you know, because I want to survive or, uh, you know, I, I value being honest. Well, if it means being dishonest to save your life, are you going to be dishonest? And so I think mm-hmm. there is a lot of that play too. like how much will you be pushed before you compromise your values? Yeah, I, I would say that um, I was feeling a lot of what, Matthew was too, where I was watching it and thinking, um, our obsession with reality television, my own included, I, I, I tend to think my 
sort of uh, guilty pleasures, which are like alone, you know, these survival shows where it's nobody trying to vote anyone off, but how, can you survive with bears and all this other stuff in the woods for how many days, right? I am really sitting in front of my television doing what, I mean, I don't have any control over this, but I'm getting joy out of watching people starve, starve themselves half to death, right? I mean, these people, some of them are medevaced out of the woods because they've lost 22% of their body fat or whatever. And they've, you know, they're, they're in starvation mode. So there's some of that, right? And I think we're so sort of in tune to that, that uh, this becomes a perfect uh, medium or delivery method to teach us something about ourselves and the inequalities that we put up with in our day-to-day lives and just how much of our own lives are scripted and just how little control we have, uh, whether we think we do or not. I don't know that we're supposed to feel like the main character, but I think it's really doing what all great tragedy does, which is to allow us for a moment, if we're good viewers, um, astute viewers, to step outside of society and culture and say, these things are fucked up and we do all of them, right? Uh, And if we don't on a day-to-day basis, what would it take me in order to get there? I mean, I think that's one of the questions it asks us to consider. I think in general that speaks to humanity's morbid curiosity. Like you're always looking to test the limits of, well, what can we do or what would happen if we did this? Um, As well as I I think reality TV shows might be just a perversion of a search for authenticity. We don't want to see, you know, the fake things on the TV. We want to see real people doing real things. Yeah. And that just uh, those those ideas are corrupted, you know, curiosity and authenticity in uh, really dangerous forms here. Yeah. Well, I think we have to end on a less uplifting note <laughs> in this episode. Like the well, show? <laughs> like the show. Well, I'll say, if you want to laugh, uh, I watched this show on an airplane, or parts of the show on an airplane. And uh, there was a shot where there was someone in a, a bleeding, got shot and was bleeding and sliding down a children. And blood was coming down. And- oh, we lost. Do we lose him? <laughs> he tried to uplift it and society <laughs> shut him down. <laughs> <laughs> we have no control. You have been silenced. You've been silenced by Apple. <laughs> By the squid cast. Oh and he's God. gone. The pub is produced on that series of <laughs> tubes we all know as the internet from the studio at Underdark, which doubles as my basement and office. You can listen in on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, where we post new episodes every Monday. You can also find us at straylightmag.com, where we publish news stories, poetry, art, and of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at the Pub Podcast on Twitter. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Pub, Australia Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. <laughs> <laughs>